You're listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast with service members from across the military sharing their stories of combat and survival. And now, here's your host, Mark Zeno. Welcome into the Hazard Ground Podcast. We always appreciate you joining us each and every week. Before we get to this week's guest, reminder, our website is live, hazardground.com. Go back and check out previous podcast episodes, get more pictures, bios on our guests, and a lot of great information about what we have coming up next. Also, don't forget to write us a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Play, also on Spotify, all the places you can get the Hazard Ground. We really appreciate the ratings and reviews. Certainly help us get the word out there about the podcast and help us continue to get you guys some great guests each and every week. This week's episode is brought to you by our new sponsor, Blue Apron. Blue Apron delivers all the fresh ingredients and all the recipes you need in exactly the right proportions to make simple, seasonal, home-cooked meals. New recipes are created each week by Blue Apron's culinary team, so you'll learn to cook with new ingredients, cuisines, and cooking techniques. Meals are 500 to 800 calories and start at just $8.74 per serving. Shipping is always free. Listen, I've used Blue Apron many times already. Their food is delicious. Every sponsor on the Hazard Ground is a product that we've used and will stand by 100%. Otherwise, we wouldn't waste your time talking about it before the episode. So if you head over to our sponsors page on hazardground.com slash sponsors, there are links with special offers just for our listeners that will be on there daily. And support for our sponsors goes right back into making Hazard Ground the best show it could possibly be. And now, for a limited time, if you order Blue Apron through our website, you'll get 60 bucks off your first six weeks of deliveries. That's an amazing deal. So get on over to hazardground.com slash sponsors and click on the Blue Apron banner and discover a better way to cook. This week's guest is a retired Army captain most noted for writing a very popular blog slash memoir titled Kaboom that was actually shut down by the Army. We'll explain why coming up, but he is also an author. The title of his novel is called Youngblood. It is about the Iraq War as well. He is Matt Gallagher, and he joins us on the Hazard Ground Podcast. Matt, welcome. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, a very interesting story. You know, it's funny, in all the research that we've been doing in in this podcast and all the people that we've met and everything, I, I have not come across your story until we found out what it was. Yeah, I would have thought along the way, I would have heard something about your Kaboom blog and, you know, because this stuff has a way of reverberating throughout the military very quickly as I'm still, you know, wearing the uniform all these years later. And uh, I didn't know about this. So I, I found it very, very interesting as I dove into kind of researching your story that this whole thing had happened. But before we get to how the blog, which turned into a memoir, got started. Tell us how your military career got its start. Sure. Uh, so I was a college freshman uh, when 9-11 happened. Uh, I joined the Army ROTC program uh, for a few different reasons, pay for school, uh, serve my country. Uh, uh, there was a plan involved, at least, which, you know, at, at 18 can seem very enticing. Um, but, you know, I, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do in the Army or, or anything. Um, 9-11 happened, and, and like a lot of people uh, at that age in that moment, uh, it, you know, it, it felt uh, like the Pearl Harbor of our, of our generation. And, and in some ways, that analogy still holds, and in many other ways, it doesn't. But uh, in that moment at that time, it, it, it certainly felt apt. So, uh, you know, through a lot of conversations with my parents and, and uh, uh, my uh, mentors in the ROTC program, I um, stayed in, uh, honored uh honored my ROTC commitment and also decided to go, uh, I wanted to, uh, do combat arms. If I was going to do this army thing, you know, I kind of wanted to do it, uh, uh, from the front. So I ended up, uh, commissioning, uh, in 2005 as an armor officer 
and uh, uh, became a cavalry scout uh, platoon leader uh, with the 25th Infantry Division based out of Hawaii. So uh, I had a 30-man scout platoon uh, along with my platoon sergeant. Um, we were on strikers, uh, which were, uh, uh, you know, pretty amazing vehicle, uh, though that's, you know, uh, something Iraq vets say, you talk to Afghanistan vets about, uh, the striker, it's a whole different conversation, uh, deployed to, uh, Iraq in, uh, late 2007, kind of, uh, late, late part of the surge there. Uh, we knew going in, it was going to be a 15 month tour. So, uh, you know, we weren't going to be, uh, uh, you know, extended once we were there we were we already knew we were going to be there i was going to be there for two birthdays uh uh it was just going to be the way the way it was and uh you know it was kind of that 15 month long slog through counterinsurgency it it, it almost seems like a different era compared to uh uh you know the, the war stories emerging from afghanistan and elsewhere now but there was uh, the one cavalry troop living in a uh, sectarian town uh just northwest of Baghdad, uh, directly to our west were the Marines in Anbar province. Uh, uh, directly to our north was the Grand Canal. Uh, you know, looking back on it, it was kind of a really interesting microcosm of the entire war. We had we had Sunnis, we had Shias, uh, uh, we had uh, the Sons of Iraq uh, paid neighborhood watch operating. Um, uh, about three months into into our tour, uh, uh, there was a Mahdi uh, army uprising. Um, uh, uh, led by uh, uh, Muqtada al-Sadr, of course. So, uh, you know, it was just kind of wild uh, 15 months. Um, you know, the first three months were uh, a little hairy. You know, we had, had uh, 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 some firefights and everything. But after that, things really, really started to calm down. Um, it, it felt like when we were there that it, what we were doing uh, was working. Um, uh, a lot of money was involved, of course, uh, a, a lot of, uh, forgiving of, of past sins, uh, with certain, uh, Iraqi militia allies and everything. But, uh, uh, there was a kind of a, a tenuous peace that was growing, um, in the back of our heads, there was always this question of, of what could that peace hold if there weren't, uh, armed, uh, American soldiers, uh, man in, man in every corner. Uh, but you know, when we came home, uh, in early 2009, we genuinely felt like uh, uh, the war had been won, or, or at least a corner had been turned. And uh, you know, it's interesting. I uh, in conversations with with other Iraq vets from different parts of that war, uh, I've come to realize over time just how rare uh, a, fe- uh, a feeling that was. Right? Maybe, maybe you could get it from some of the guys that were over just just during the invasion, but uh, really, at, at no other points in, in the war did did people kind of come home uh, feeling that way. But we did. And uh, uh, many of us were, were true believers in coin, uh, which which seems like a, a weird throwback and, uh, uh, you know, hoping hoping for the best that uh, maybe the that tenuous peace we we fought so hard for could hold in Iraq. And uh, uh, obviously history uh, has proven otherwise. Well, and again, when he says coin, he's talking about counterinsurgency. It's just a military's abbreviation for it for those civilians listening. But you went through a lot there. Um, and, and I do want to debate that point with you about whether we won or lost. And my two deployments, my first one was 05 to 06, and my second one was the closeout in all of 2011. So I was there for the very end of this whole thing. Okay. Um, and and it's, it's varying perspectives. But let's back up for a minute because you were in ROTC prior to 9-11, and then 9-11 happened in ROTC. You spoke of the conversations that you had with your family and your parents. What were those conversations like? What were they about? 
Uh, so my parents uh, come from both come from military families. Um, my mom was a Navy brat, and uh, my dad was the son of a, uh, a Navy medic. And both grandfathers had served in World War II and Korea. Uh, then I had an uncle who served in Vietnam, but uh, both my parents uh, protested Vietnam. <laughs> so you know, uh, uh, looking back on it, I think my brother and I were raised with a, a very healthy respect for military service and military members, but uh, uh, a, b- a bit of healthy skepticism uh, towards how military forces applied. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was uh, uh, these, these, these ideas, these conversations mattered, mattered to us. Um, uh, not, not only was uh, I, I going to wear the army uniform, but, you know, what, what was I going to be doing um, in, my, in my time there? And, and what did that really mean? I think my parents just wanted to really make sure that um, I wasn't being starry-eyed about about this or being caught up caught up in the moment. That uh, um, uh, you know, I, I I wasn't reading uh, uh, you know heroic propaganda. That 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 if I was going to sit down and, and study this, that I was reading books uh, and and ideas that that dealt with war forthrightly and honestly. And uh, uh, once I uh, came to the conclusion. Um, that this is what I wanted to do, and and I knew what um, uh, uh, combat actually could entail. Uh, they they were very supportive. Um, they you know they, I think uh, uh, like like any good parents, they just wanted to to make sure that uh, I had a full understanding of of what war um, uh, could look like and, and could entail. Uh, and it's you know not. Uh, John Wayne's Green Berets. Well, hang on a second. So it's interesting. When your parents protested the Vietnam War. Did they protest the Iraq War? They did not. No. Okay. Why? Um, well, I mean, they were college students when they protested Vietnam, and and uh, uh, there's uh, different responsibilities uh, than when you're a, a 25 years later and you're a parent with a career. Sure. Uh, and you know, I, I think. Uh, um, like a lot of people in, in 2002, 2003, uh, you know, shortly after nine 11, there was, uh, there were questions, uh, of, uh, uh, of American safety and American security. Um, I think they, and, and I, I certainly did had deep misgivings about, um, how Iraq was related to, to nine 11. Um, but you know, the, uh, Colin Powell was a man, um, we all respected a lot. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, th- I think that was a changing moment for um, uh, for those conversations when when he went in front of the United Nations and 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 uh, uh, made the case uh, for for the Iraq invasion. So, uh, uh, you know, it it it's, uh, seems you know I guess it was 15 years ago, but um, in, in many ways uh, uh, there were coherent arguments that could be made. Um, for for the Iraq invasion being tied to American national security, and, and the only reason I ask that I'm just curious. You know, I mean, typically that that thought process of anti-war uh, holds the line across different generations. And beyond that, you know, you talked about your parents wanted you to have an understanding of war. Well, they had never been, and they protested war. So I'm wondering what viewpoint they were coming from in trying to give you an understanding of war. Well, being the children of veterans, um, uh, being a sibling of a Vietnam veteran, um, uh, uh, you know, they they de- they dealt with it directly as, as family members, as, okay. as our family as our as our family members do, and just as thinking citizens of of a republic. You know, I I think I I in my writing I've I've come to realize 
that it's really dangerous for for the veteran community to try to hold tight to these experiences and 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 not share them and, and think that they can't be understood by, by people just because they weren't there. Um, that's not uh, uh, that's a I don't think it's healthy for individuals and, and B it's just not healthy for a country. Uh, and uh, it, it's on all of us as veteran or civilian um, as as citizens of the American Republic to try to grapple with these these big ideas of war and peace and 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 combat and combat experience uh yeah um just be, you know uh, uh just because somebody hasn't directly experienced it they're not gonna be able to maybe conjure up the smells and, and the feel uh and the feelings the same way uh on the other hand um you know a, a little bit a little bit of distance can go a long way uh uh for, for my money the best war novel written by an american uh is the red badge of courage by stephen crane He's not a. He was not a Civil War veteran. He he was a generation. He came a generation later and uh, 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 came to the subject as a journalist who was interviewing uh, aging Civil War veterans who were uh, who were dying off and, and wanted to share their stories before before they passed away. He he put it all together and 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 put together uh, an incredible book that that speaks to that experience uh, better than anything I've read. No, and listen, that's a very lucid point. I remember reading that in high school. I don't remember the. Uh... The whole lot of the Red Badge of Courage, but I know it was one of those summer books we had to read uh, back in, you know, uh, ninth grade English. So it's a fair point. I was just kind of curious where you, uh, you know, wh- how the conversation went, because we, we deal with a lot of people on the podcast who have those conversations with parents. Everybody who signed up post 9-11, you know, has those conversations with their parents. And some parents are, you know, adamant that, the, that you know, this is not what they want them to do, even though they can't stop them. They, they, they voice their concerns and other parents, you know, are more kind of understanding even though they are filled with trepidation and you know you seem to have a very philosophical conversation with your parents at least as you describe it on multiple levels as to you know the upsides and downsides as opposed to entering in the business they call the army yeah you know i, I never I, I i i've been lucky they're uh they're both really good people they're both really smart people they're both very caring people and uh, uh, uh i think for them uh they just wanted me to uh Make as as uh, uh, full and as sound a decision and as informed of the decision as possible. And, and as long as I was doing that, um, uh, they would they would they're going to be supportive no matter what. Um, though of course, I mean, what parent wouldn't be nervous and anxious about uh, about a child joining the military at a time of war? Certainly. Okay. Let's let's bring it back up to uh, your first visit to Iraq. Uh, what time of year this two thousand seven is when you initially get there? Yeah, uh, November. Okay. Um, I had left in April of 06. Um, and okay. you know, that, so the, the 2007 was the beginning of the surge. Um, so I, I'm kind of familiar with the area that you are and, and what was going on and everything. And what were your kind of, um, orders when you got there? What were you told? What was your job? Uh, everything as far as the, the pre-mission stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. So we, tra- you know, we trained up, uh, uh, really kind of for a very kinetic type of type of fights a lot of force on force a lot of shoot houses that type of stuff and and then in the couple months preceding our our, our actual deployment we start hearing about counterinsurgency and engaging the populace and 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 we're getting these rushed language classes and cultural class cultural awareness classes uh it seems like a really different thing um so uh you know we get there um we're we're replacing uh, uh uh unit from the fourth id um, and, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. First Cav, uh, fourth ID was there before first Cav. So we're placing first Cav 
and, uh, uh, you know, just trying to pick, pick their brains as much as possible. Uh, and, you know, what is counterinsurgency? You know, what is, what is, I, I keep reading these, these big quotes from, from General Petraeus and everything, but what does counterinsurgency look like on the ground, on the platoon level? And uh, uh, the platoon sergeant and the, the PL that we, we were replacing were just like, honestly, you're just kind of like armed to beat cops. You, you know, you're going to be a jack of all trades, a master of none. Um, you just need to you need to know this village. You need to know this town uh, like the back of your own hand. You know, you're gonna, you're, we're going to introduce you to all the key players, Sunni and Shia. You get to know the mayor, get to know the police chief, uh, uh, get to know the uh, uh, the Iraqi army major. Um, but but and, and they're, they're all important. But really, it's it's uh, it's the marketplace vendors that, that are going to give you the good stuff. Um, uh, you know, get to know, get to know the chatty children. Uh, uh, Get to, get to know the surly old men playing dominoes who uh, 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 who are too old to care anymore. So, they're you know if if, uh, if you establish a good relationship with them, they'll tell you what you want to know because what what the hell do they care? They're 75 years old. Um, uh, they're de- they're already facing facing death down. Um, so you know it was uh, uh, on, on my dad's side. I, I come from a, a family of, of, of Irish cops, uh, so I, I really kind of found found myself trying to remember stories I'd, I'd heard about them growing up. Uh, and, and, and in, in that way of finding that balance of, of being, uh, 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 yeah, an, an armed soldier, uh, on your guard 24 seven, but also some, you know, kind of an observer, um, something, you know, somebody watching, uh, watching the corners while you're having a conversation just to see it, just to see if, if anything's out of place, if anything's different than it was, uh, uh, the day beforehand. And, you know, it was a lot of, a lot of trial and error, uh, drinking from a fire hose, you know, you're a completely different corner of the world. Uh, in a completely different culture uh, and society than the one you grew up in, but you know you you got you got to learn fast. And uh, uh, we had we had a really good smart platoon. Uh, I, I was blessed with some really capable uh, NCOs, uh, and uh, uh, slowly surely we got we got better at it. Um, and slowly surely the uh, uh, the war uh, on on the micro uh, uh, started to be safer, started to be. Uh, a, a bit more peaceful and, and uh, same thing was happening, happening on the macro as well. How much different was the Iraqi society and the Iraqi culture than what you were prepared for? <laughs> oh, oh gosh. Uh, you know, I think like most, most Americans, it was, uh, it was crazy different. Um, uh, I, the, the thing I remember most strike is striking me most. I was 20, 24 when I first got there. So young, but you know, uh, some of my soldiers were, were younger than that. So, um, you know, uh, but I'd, I'd never really seen poverty like that before. Right. Um, uh, uh the smells particularly, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I, I and I chuckle at that just because anybody who's ever driven through Baghdad, the 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 you know water and the, the standing just tepid water that is that is there that's just disgusting. It, it makes you want to vomit your Kevlar. Like it literally is that bad of a smell. Absolutely, so just raw and putrid, and, yep. and yeah, American poverty isn't isn't the same. Um, a couple miles down on around uh, uh, Tampa, uh, mm-hmm. there was a trash dump. There was a trash dump, and and we got called there one time because uh, some some helicopter pilots had seen some you know, flash of metal or something. And so we, you know, we walked through the dump, checked it out, but, uh, and came across, you know, religious exiles that were living there. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, one of my, one of my sergeants started handing out beanie babies to the kids and, uh, they'd never seen anything like, they'd never even seen, they couldn't even fabricate what a beanie baby was. Um, and you know, it was, it was, it was, it was nice and a sweet gesture and, 
Um, but you know, I just remember leaving, tra- uh, uh, we call it trash village, um, uh, leaving trash village, just kind of with a, a pit in my stomach. Like, like I, I, I wouldn't even begin to know, even if I had the, the resources and the means, I wouldn't even know how to, how to help people, uh, living in that kind of squalor. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was a big shock. And I remember talking a, a lot with, um, uh, uh, my NCOs, uh, and, and my commander who deployed before, about reconciling um, that type of poverty with with the mission, you know, you're 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 there to, yeah, part of it, you're there to help people, uh, but but uh, 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 you're also there's also a war going on, so you know, how how do you balance all these things? So you're there for how long before you decide to start writing the blog, which you titled Kaboom, uh, and what was the impetus for starting it? Uh, so I started blogging kind of uh, right when we got there. Um, uh, we had. You know, once or twice a week, uh, we had uh, a little bit of internet access out at the outpost. Uh, you know, one of the reasons was when I was doing the research for our deployment, I I come across some other military blogs that kind of helped me understand what counterinsurgency looked like on the ground level, um, and uh, uh, I found that helpful. And uh, I'd also, you know, I think it probably sparked something in me too. You know, I'd grown up I you know, writing. Um, I'd been on school newspapers and everything and uh, enjoyed it. It was kind of a way of making sense of the world. Uh, so I figured, Oh, I could, I could do something like that. And, uh, and, you know, be a way to keep in touch with family and friends. Um, you know, the war was very political, uh, at that point. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I didn't know how different people from different parts of my life maybe felt about it or felt about me being, being there. So I figured hey, blog is, place they can go if they're interested and uh i won't be ramming it down their throats if they're not uh well see i went the journal route i decided to cut you off but i went the like i kept a journal um Mm -hmm. and i i wanted to more catalog my experience um i wanted to more be able to just talk about feelings and emotions and 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 not hold back with certain things because i knew i mean granted this was 05 to 06 so i don't you know the the internet kind of there was 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 a little bit different at the time but Beyond that, uh, was there any desire to to do that to have something historical for yourself? Yeah, I think so. Uh, a little, uh, uh, yeah. I think a catalog is a, a, a good word for it. A, a time capsule, perhaps. Um, you know, I I think looking back, you know, I, I didn't even know how somebody wrote books, uh, but uh, I probably had ambitions of when I was old and gray, maybe someday writing um, about about Iraq in some way and. And yeah, p- p- part of the blog could be uh, a time capsule for that. You know, not how uh, I remember it be- smelling and, and sounding and and, uh, and happening, but how it re- how it, how shortly after the moment um, those things actually were, and and, and uh, comparing those differences. Uh, so yeah, you know, very similar um, uh, uh, impetus for that. Uh, I call it kaboom. Uh, I mean, it's kind of a stupid joke now, but. Uh, uh, you know, roadside bombs were, were the big uh, were the big threat. Um, I'd already lost a couple friends uh, that I'd uh, gotten to know in ROTC and, and uh, OBC uh, to to IED attacks. Uh, it was you know it was the the quick killer, um, and uh, it was on everybody's mind. So I you know I, I was kind of a bit of a smartass uh, uh, and thought oh. Okay, I'll just I'll call my blog Kaboom. It'll be a, a joke about IED strikes and uh, not not a really funny joke, but you know a l- little bit of dark gallows humor uh, 
there and and uh uh and so we were off so you know once uh the blog was up and once or twice a week if when i had time i just kind of wrote about uh uh what what the platoon was doing you know whether that was um you know rolling into a, a firefight between um uh, iraqi army and insurgents whether it was just coming across a, a war orphan uh trying to care uh trying to take care of his little brother uh and uh, uh trying to figure out how how to get those kids linked up with the, the right people that could you know maybe take uh maybe take uh, uh some care of them and uh yeah so you know it was just exactly like uh, uh the platoon leader and platoon sergeant from first cabot told us it would be it was a little bit of this a little bit of that uh uh, uh jack of all trades masters of none um you know waking up in dawn and and uh uh you know, ra- raiding a house and, and putting together a, uh, a sniper rifle that's been hidden uh, into seven different parts throughout the house. Uh, you know, it was like a jigsaw puzzle, uh, uh, try- trying to trying to track them all down. Um, you know, I how do you train for something like that? You, uh, you don't really. You, you, you figure it out uh, and, and do the best you can once you get there. No, I mean, listen, anybody who's been to Iraq or Afghanistan and any part of the last, what are we going on, 17 years now? Um, nothing you really could ever train for prepared you for what you saw. I mean, the best you can liken it to is uh, you, athletes that don't train sports-specific. You just stay in shape, right? Because you don't know what sport you're going to end up having to play when you get mm-hmm. there. You just want to make sure you're in shape for whatever comes your way. So, I mean, that's that's understandable. When, when you sat down to write, were there any topics you were afraid to to bring out or bring to light? I mean, I, I, I know in doing research that you, you, your superiors knew what you were doing, right? And they were okay with it? They blessed off on it? Uh, they were they were until they weren't. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, initially. But at the yeah. outset, when you started writing, I mean, did you go to them first and say, hey, I, I want to do this, and they blessed off on it? Or did you start it, and then they said, hey, we see that you're doing this, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, they, they kind of had to give you the go-ahead? No, I, I, I went to them and, and explored, explored with them. They, they, they said it was fine. Um, uh, uh, you know, I needed to run posts by uh, my commander uh, uh, when I could and, and when when he could read them. Uh, but you know, I, I think they viewed it maybe as as kind of a, a, a counterinsurgent tool, right? A, 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 a thing to put a, a face and a story to the uh, the big big bad scary American soldier occupying American soldier or whatever. Oh, it's actually uh, uh, just a bunch of young men from all over the states trying to do the best they can in an impossible situation. Right. Um, uh, so uh, what was the question before that? No, just like, what, what, what were the topics that, were there any topics you were afraid to oh, tackle yeah. or afraid to write about or, uh, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I didn't want to get into my soldiers' personal lives. Um, you know, anybody who's deployed knows it, there's at least somebody in the platoon who's, who's having trouble back home. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, if not multiple, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to get into that. That's not, that's not the business of the internet. Uh, one, um, uh, bit later on in the deployment uh one of our soldiers was very seriously wounded in, in a uh, non-combat incident but it was you know he, he almost died uh and uh uh you know i i wrote about it very carefully um because uh a you know it wasn't for me to be distilling kind of information about uh, uh what had happened or how uh, you know there was going to be an official army investigation into that um, so, you know, I, 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 try, uh, uh, 
just had to be very responsible and careful with that and, and focused more on uh, uh, how much the platoon missed him um, and, and, and how integral a part uh, of the, of the platoon he'd been in. So he and his family who, who were reading, uh, and I was aware of that, um, you know, could, could hopefully take some pride in that, that, that we, we were, we remembered him. We missed him, uh, and and you know we were proud that he that he was making it through. Did you write about any casualties? Uh, you know, what, the one one time, um, one of my good friends, another PL from uh, uh, the, the troop uh, uh, just next door to us, uh, his vehicle got hit by an IED, uh, and uh, he he was fine, uh, but. Uh, uh, very possibly could not have been. And uh, that was a lesson. That was a lesson learned that, uh, um, I, you know, I you don't, the, the thing with the blog is I, uh, I didn't realize who people were reading it, yeah. um, until, until maybe a, a little later than I should have. And, uh, uh, you know, luckily he was fine, but he's like, dude, my parents found out that we got hit by your blog <laughs> i was like oh sorry man uh i'll let i'll let you handle next time i'll let you handle it uh you, you let me know what it, uh, uh after you've emailed them or called them wow that's crazy so i mean you seem to take a very pragmatic approach to this whole thing and obviously i've read a couple of posts i haven't had a chance to read everything um but you know in what i gather this was more of a fact finding or you know kind of uh, detailed account of things that went on as opposed to an emotional or personal story. Yeah. You know, though there, yeah, at least consciously, you know, I, I'm sure the, some of that other stuff was definitely there, you know, um, uh, how could it not be, you know, any, anybody that's written in a journal or, you know, detailed a, a powerful moment in their life. Uh, there's a lot more going on than, than just the, the five W's, uh, but I wasn't aware of that at the time, you know, look at all these years later, looking back on it, you know, I think the blog was an outlet for me. It was, it was a way for a young, young man, um, to try to make sense of what he was seeing and doing. Uh, um, you know, I made, you know, liken it to a, to a jigsaw puzzle. You don't, you don't have all the pieces to, um, but, uh, you know, the mere act of putting together the pieces you do have helps give some shape and, and texture, uh, uh, to the puzzle as a whole. And, you know, that, that was that was the Iraq counterinsurgency in 2007, 2008. There was a lot going on on the surface and there was a lot more going on under the surface. Uh, you know, and, and those sheikhs, uh, Sunni and Shia, they they were prepping for the wars to come. Uh, and uh, some of them were open about that with us. Uh, and, uh, you know, I remember one uh, one powerful moment that, that I wrote about because uh, uh, I needed to because it was. Uh, so complicated was uh, one of the one of the Sunni sheikhs in the in the farmlands uh, uh, made it a point to 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 show me photos of his uh, great grandfather and grandfather and his father, and say he worked with the Ottomans, he worked with the British, you know he he helped uh, uh, overthrow the king um, uh, with with the Bath Party, and you know he he wasn't being direct about it because that, that's not how they're their, their culture works. Um, but after thinking it over, I, you know, I think he was trying to, trying to make the point. He's like, this is, this is our life. These, this is forever for us. No matter how long you all stay here, uh, this isn't your home. And, you know, we, we've, we've, we've had conversations like this before with, 
with uh, uh, young officers far from home from other countries. Uh, you know, uh, uh, we're allies. We're working together now. But, uh, you know, you're, you're going back to Hawaii here in a few months. Um, this is this is the land that, that's belonged to my family for hundreds of years. You know, it's interesting, and I keep going back to this in my head as I hear you talk about, you know, counterinsurgency and your experience. You know, when I wrote in my journal, and I don't mean to kind of, you know, give you the, my personal spiel, but I, I, mine was a lot more emotionally guided. One, because I didn't want to hold back. I really wanted to, to you know, give my full thoughts and emotions on whatever I was going through. But the difference is, is my job, my first deployment was was FID, Foreign Internal Defense. And, and it's, slightly, okay. it's slightly different than counterinsurgency. In that, you know, I am inserted in an Iraqi unit working with these guys day in and day out and, and my survival and, and my success depends on them. I mean, you guys could right. wh- wh- in counterinsurgency, whether the Iraqis get up at it, off the chair and do anything doesn't really depend on your mission. That's not the case in foreign internal defense. But what I'm leading sure. to is the, that the experiences I had were so emotionally moving at times because I was standing next to these people in combat and standing next to them in meetings and everything else during the day that that was the only way I had to relate from them. You know, I was telling their story sort of through my eyes at the same time. And and I don't know if you kind of felt that way in your writing, but um, when you talk about your relationships with the Iraqis, it almost, uh, I get the feeling like it's there, but it's still at arm's distance for you. Uh, sometimes, you know, you, you got to know late, later, once I uh, left my platoon and, um, uh, made captain, uh, and I, I was sent over to a infantry battalion across the river. Uh, and I looked, uh, in my new position, I worked a lot more closely, uh, uh, with the Rockies, um, uh, in, 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 in kind of a targeting cell in kind of a joint targeting cell. Uh, and I got to know, um, uh, Iraqis, uh, uh, both police and, and, and military, uh, on that kind of personal level that, that sounds like you did as well. Uh, but yeah, with the, with the platoon, it was, uh, you were allies, not necessarily kin. Uh, and you know, that could cause, cause some friction at points. Um, and, uh, yeah, because, you know, they had 30 other Iraqis in their platoon and I had 20, 29 American soldiers that, you know, when we got back to the base that, you know, they, they had, they had a floor and we had, we had a different floor. Um, and uh, uh, there were strengths to that, and there were uh, probably drawbacks to that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just a different experiences, and I was just curious as to kind of, you know, uh, the, the, the different approach to which you wrote the blog. Now, ultimately, the blog gets shut down because of what post, why? Give me the background of all of it. Sure. Uh, uh, I mean, the short version is I, I made fun of my colonel, uh, and he didn't like it. And, you know, there's a, there's a lesson there uh, uh both in the military and out, you, you know, you can't make fun of your boss on the internet, uh, no matter what. <laughs> you uh, can if you do it the right way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, okay. be very careful about how you do it. How about that? <laughs> uh, you know, they they, they wanted. To, um, I got called in. Uh, they uh, uh, wanted to make me an XO, uh, which was awesome. Um, but uh, uh, you know, I, I wanted to stay with my platoon. We just we just had that that non combat incident. Um, uh, I, I thought it was really important that the, the, the platoon stay, uh, you know, as a unif- as together and, and undisrupted as possible. Uh, you know, selfishly, being a PL was better than an XO. I, I knew that. Uh, uh, and uh, I also thought, um, you know, the type of officers that, that I'd looked up to um, that had mentored me, uh, you know, would, would maybe fight a little bit. Not, not, you know, not 
not throw a tizzy fit or anything, but uh, show that they uh, they wanted to be a, a ground leader. So, you know, I, I, tr- I try to do that, not expecting to win at all, but, you know, just just like, well, sir, you know, should, I'm probably not going to make the Army a career. Uh, you know, what if, you know, maybe this should go to a different PL who's, who's going to do that? You know, I, I thought I was being clever. Um, I, you know, I, I thought I was being smart. I thought I was just doing what a good junior officer would do. Uh, it was not received that way. Uh, I, I think it was received um, as... Um, me being too big for my britches or something, um, me being cocky or, or uh, not uh, uh, not wanting to be in uh, uh, to help to, to help this other unit or something like that. Um, so you know, I I I, uh, I got I got chewed out uh, pretty bad. You know, a conversation that we've all been a part of uh, in the military, um, and uh, uh, but I I was I was pissed off. Did the uh, colonel I, himself I, chew you out, or was it your company commander? No, it was it was the colonel himself. Okay. Uh, uh, and uh, do you want to share the details of that that chewing? Um, you know, he just, uh, you know, he he wasn't he wasn't the best leader of men. Um, he he tended to lead through intimidation and uh, love those uh, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And don't get me wrong. I I I made a lot of mistakes in in this process as well. Um, but. Uh, uh, it, you know, it, it, it wasn't, uh, uh, looking back on it, I don't think he, he, he would say he handled the best either. So, uh, you know, I was just called kinds of all, all kinds of names. Um, uh, looking, you know, at, at this point, uh, people at that, uh, stage of their officer career were under a lot of pressure for retention, uh, which uh, there were a lot, so many junior uh, lieutenants and captains getting out that they were starting to, to kind of grade lieutenant colonels and colonels by that. So, you know, I, I wonder if maybe that was a factor, too. Uh, in, but regardless, uh, I, you know, I went back to my hooch just really, really furious. Uh, uh, so I did what I'd been doing the previous six months when I'd been confronted with a situation I, I didn't really understand. Uh, I wrote about it uh, and, 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 and I, uh, I pressed publish. Uh, really, you know, it was, it was more of an event uh, than anything else. Um, uh, you know, it was kind of my first experience with... Uh, with the bureaucracy and, and, uh, you know, for the most part, I'd, I'd been a, a, a pretty good Lieutenant, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I, I wasn't used to being the guy, uh, called, called on the carpet like that. And, uh, uh, I was surprised by it. Well, it, it got back to him pretty quick, maybe two or three hours. Uh, and, and that did not, so we had another conversation, uh, another ash chewing, uh, and, you know, well within his right to, to shut down the blog, um, you know, we, we, we fight to, uh, protect, uh, constitutional rights. Uh, we, we don't necessarily get to abide by them while in uniform. Yeah. We, uh, we defend but, democracy. We don't practice it. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, it got shut down and, uh, uh, little to my knowledge, you know, one of the readers, um, of the blog was a, uh, uh, Washington post reporter, uh, stationed in Baghdad. So he started doing some digging around and, and, uh, a couple weeks later, uh, I didn't talk to him. But a couple of weeks later, they uh, they did a story kind of on the rise and fall of the blog and, and uh, uh, put the put the blog really kind of a, in a positive light and the colonel in a, in a negative light um, because, you know, it, it wasn't an anti-war blog uh, by any means. You know, it was just kind of a day to day, night by night uh, chronicle of, of, one, of one platoon's times uh, so that uh, that that 
turned it into kind of a, a, a much bigger thing than it than it would have been otherwise. Uh, you know, w- without without that story, all this probably you know nobody cares beyond beyond maybe the brigade. So once the Washington Post gets a hold of it, uh, and you know the reaction starts to be like you know WTF, like what, what what's going on here? Uh, what's kind of next in this whole scenario? Uh, I mean. Th- looking it was it was also strange and surreal because you know this this stuff was happening uh while we're still going on patrols so uh you know it was just kind of a weird uh uh i don't know circus side side circus kind of thing i mean uh stars and stripes re-ran the washington post article uh and put it on the cover so uh so i remember i remember rolling into we went we went back to taji for for refit operations Mm -hmm. um and you went to the chow hall went to the chow hall and yeah and and, and, uh soldier started asking me to to sign it uh (laughs) that's awesome that is uh, great (laughs) smart ass lieutenant that i was like i I start doing it and in, in Enrolls in enrolls in, in, rolls in uh, I shit you not enrolls in the brigade uh, commander and the brigade sergeant major. Oh, and I was just no. like, oh my god, they're gonna. <laughs> but they didn't. Say, to the, to their credit, uh, they didn't say they didn't say a word. Uh, uh, the sergeant major murdered me with his eyes. But uh, uh, yeah, so that was uh, that, that was an interesting lunch. Um, but yeah, you know the the thing is, I I you know because I hadn't talked to the Washington Post reporter, I hadn't violated. At the time, um, uh, it was all operational security. Right. Uh, was the, was the uh, was and still is, of course, the uh, the big concern. And I hadn't violated any opsec. Um, uh, so you know, I got I got yelled at. Uh, I, I didn't even get. I don't even think I got a counseling statement. Um, uh, I still got to, to to the to to the my battalion commander's credit. He uh, he pinned on my captain's bars about a month after that um, uh, uh, with a snide remark, of course, but uh, it, he. He showed up and, and pinned up, pinned up my bars. So, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, there was a lot of smoke, maybe a little bit of fire. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it wasn't this kind of grand, uh, uh, fight over, over the freedom of speech or anything. Yeah, it's that fine line between something being not right, but it's not wrong either. You know, just because it's not right doesn't mean it's wrong and you didn't do anything wrong, but what you did was not right. So it's, uh, totally. It's, it's, totally. It, it's it, in everybody's eyes how they want to view it. But uh, that, that's a, that must have been a fun experience in the chow hole. And Stars and Stripes, for those non military folks listening, it was the military's paper that everybody had in the chow hole overseas. It was a, you know, every, all the news was two and three days late, but it was the only thing you had. It was the only newspaper there. You know, it was the only thing to read. Um, so it was everybody picked it up if there were any in the chow hole and you'd sit there and eat your lunch, eat your dinner, and read the Stars and Stripes. And, whatever was in there was worthwhile reading to everybody. So that must've been funny. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was a straight, you know, minor, minor celebrity on Camp Taji for a day. Um, kind of fun, kind of, just mostly just a distraction from, uh, the day to day life of patrols. So at this point in time, did you know you were getting out? Was it like any of this a catalyst of being like, you know what, I'm done. This is all I needed to know. And I'm, I'm going to move on. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was leaning towards getting out anyhow. Um, I, I, enjoyed the army. I liked the army life. I liked, um, uh, I liked soldiering, uh, but it, it, uh, doing it as a career just seemed, I, there were just other things I wanted to do. Um, and, uh, uh, I looked at, um, uh, good people who had made it a career and, 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 and saw that it, it could take a toll. It could take a toll on a, on, on a person. So, uh, but, but this was definitely kind of the thing that, made it clear like uh you know kind of coming 
coming under the ire, under the microscope of uh, uh, of the bureaucracy. I was like, yeah, this is this is all I needed to, you know, this is confirmation of, of how I was leaning anyhow. I wanted to go back to something you talked about earlier about whether you felt like you had won the war or you had won your port part of the war. Uh, and it, it's very interesting because, as I said earlier, I deployed from 05 to 06. And, you know, I did foreign internal defense for 15 months there. I was attached to the SF. It was, it was the greatest part of, great, greatest experience of my military career to this day. And I've been in nearly 20 years. My second deployment to Iraq was in all of 2011, and it couldn't have been more miserable. Um, it, was, it was one of the most useless times in my entire military career, and that's because the, the mission changed. And the interesting point is when you left, you said in early 2009, right, is when you guys got out of there? Um, yeah, uh, fe- February of nine. Okay, so when I look back on it, here's how I kind of characterize it. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with boating or sailing, but they have a term called hull velocity. And, and hull velocity is a, a ship's ability to reach top speed based off of how it's constructed. So based off of the hull, it's the fastest you're going to go. And, and Iraq reached hull velocity about 2008, 2009, the latest. It, it was never going to get any better than where it was to that point. So when I look at my uh-huh. second deployment in 2011, we basically sat on a post for 11 months and got mortared and did absolutely nothing. Like we, we went there to leave, which was the most asinine thing in the world. Like we sent troops there just so they could turn around and come back. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's not that I was more upset about, you know, leaving my home, my family and everything else. That, that wasn't it. It was just uh, on its surface. The mission made zero sense. And, and, and I'm going through the whole deployment and I'm watching these 06s and 07s and, you know, all these high ranking officers with their claws in the rug like a cat trying to stay in Iraq, like finding reasons to try and stay. And I'm sitting here looking at everybody and I'm an 04 at this time. I'm a major going, guys, wake up. Let's just go home. Like, what the hell are we doing here? But counter, right. as you said, 05 to 06, you won't convince me that for that period, we didn't win the war. For the mission that I had, for the, for the unit that I was with and everything that we were charged with doing, we won our section, our piece of the pie. Unequivocally, mm-hmm. we did. We left Iraq better than when we got there. Now, I can't speak to anything that happened after I left because I wasn't part of it. But, uh, you know, in that sense, I think a lot of us take our deployments in those small doses. You can only control what you can control. And, and for the part that we can control, or we controlled from that time from 05 to 06, it was an absolute win. Right. Everything after that, you know, may have ended up in what people deem as failure, but I had no control over that, so I can't characterize it that way. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really well said. Um, I, I, uh, I found... Um, uh, as a vet personally, and, and then just in conversations with others that, yeah, taking, taking the focus on, on, on what you did, what you impacted, uh, uh, your tour tours, uh, uh, your town, uh, your quadrant, uh, uh, you, you know, is, is all you can do, right. Uh, uh, you know, you're, we're all, we're all one, one small piece of the, the green machine. Um, you know, on, on, on the macro level, I, I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll spend the rest of our lives wondering, uh, you know, what if the, uh, uh, you know, we hadn't fully withdrawn in, in 2011. Though, you know, as you just said, that it, it it made sense in that in that moment, right? Um, uh, uh, for for some different reasons, and and um, there were other different reasons to uh, uh, to maybe stay a little bit longer. You know, it, it, it's going to be a big what if game, uh, but that's life. Uh, and, uh, uh, kind of getting, I, I find at least, uh, getting caught up in the, uh, 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 very simple, uh, win, win loss, but you know, that, that's, that's, that, that, 
that's just kind of childish. Childish. That's just not. It's not the type of wars uh, America fights anymore, right? Um, uh, we're you know uh, we're involved kind of all over the globe, doing things that don't really can't really be contained by uh, by victory or loss. Uh, that, that that can be tricky. That's that's that, that can do a toll on the psyche. Well, um, and I think part of that is because war in and of itself used to be a physical extension of politics. And it's no longer that. Like, war no longer is diplomacy. Um, it is a means of of extending diplomacy, but it's not as final as it used to be. I mean, because by all intents and purposes, then 2003 was the end of the of the actual diplomacy right. part of the war. Because yeah. we went in there, rolled over, toppled the city, toppled the leader, got the hell out of dot. I mean, that, that was the end of the diplomacy. But from mm-hmm. everything else after that, it was nothing but a political you know, political game going forward. And we were just a pawn as far as the military and holding ground on that political game. So to your point, yes, to, to, to characterize it in win and loss terms is, uh, is childish, as you say, but in the military world, we either know mission success or mission failure. It's a binary system. There, there, there's, right. no, there's no other option. We don't deal in politics. We deal in mission success, mission failure. Sure. What's the mission? That's, I mean, that, that was the, that was the trillion dollar question. We were there, um, and, uh, uh, seem, you know, can, can remain. So, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're back in Iraq, you know, maybe, uh, uh, it, it, uh, a friend of mine recently said, uh, it's very possible that, uh, the, the veterans, uh, of, of these, this, these next wars, uh, will view our Iraq that the one we're talking about, at least kind of the way we view desert storm, uh, as a, a kind of a, a previous iteration of the same thing, uh, with with an interlude uh, uh, of uh, when, when we weren't there, so um, uh, more to be revealed, I guess. When you look back on your experience, um, what do you take away from the deployment outside of the blog itself? Uh, things I'm most proud of um, is uh, my platoon sergeant and I brought each and every one of our men home um, uh, to live their lives. Uh, whether you know whether they uh, many of them stayed in the military, some of them got out. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot a lot of luck went into that. Uh, a, a lot of factors beyond uh, beyond us went into that, but uh, that's something um, that uh, matters a lot to me. Uh, they. Uh, our platoon handled themselves uh, really incredibly uh, under fire, under under tense situations. Um, uh, it was good, you know, good training, good testament uh, uh, to my NCOs and, and their leadership, and 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 maybe in a, in, in, a, in a small part, uh, uh, a wary lieutenant, uh, you know, a wary lieutenant who who didn't want to get his guys. Um, uh, uh, involved in something just because, you know, just because, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I, uh, I look back on and, and, uh, um, take a lot, you know, take pride in pr- pride in my service, pr- pr- pride in, in our, our small piece of the piece of the pie. Um, and try to, try to reckon, trying to reconcile that with, uh, with the larger war, um, and, and how it turned out and, and, and my, my great sadness for how the war turned out, um, for the Iraqi people, really, um, uh, because you know, I, I saw the 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 hope on their faces in in 2008 and 2009 as, as things were slowly, steadily getting better. You know, they're uh, they deserve better. You know, they they just um, 
happen to be born and happen to be living uh, in in that part of the world where uh, uh, you know they went from a despot uh, living under under a despot in Saddam to to now you know 15 years of of sectarian strife. Um, 99% of those people don't don't deserve that. They de- they deserve peace. Uh, so you know, trying to reconcile that, you know, my my micro soldiering pride with with a, a sadness for how it all turned out on the macro, you know, I think really is 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 a big reason why I write about it still. Um, uh, and, and and trying to sort through that 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 messiness and that that murkiness, um, is really complicated and and uh, uh, there's a lot going on there, uh, um, in terms of history and culture and, and philosophy and everything, and and uh, that's uh, that's where you know, good literature, I think, can come from are, are, is, uh, are those messy corners of existence. So, uh, uh, you know, that all that still kind of lingers. It's really long winded answer to your question, I know. But uh, I think all that kind of lingers, lingers within me still, both both as a human being and as a veteran, but uh, but also as a writer. Well, and that's a good segue to uh, your novel, Youngblood. Uh, what's it about and how did you come to write it? And was some of this a more of an extension sort of your experience? Uh, I an extension, yeah, and I think an extension of my interest uh, in in this place and 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 this war and, and how it all turned out. Uh, I'd already written about um, my experiences in the surge and my platoon uh, in Kaboom, uh, and I. But you know, uh, in 2011, I'd gone back to grad school uh, for for creative writing, um, and it was very important to me at the time to uh, to write something else other than other than Iraq or the war. Um, to show that I was a uppercase writer uh, uh, for some reason, um, but this is 2011, uh, so you you were over there, and uh, you know I think for some very obvious reasons I was watching the news, uh, seeing seeing how this was all going to turn out, um, uh, you know, really hoping and praying that that uh, uh, the stability and peace could hold, uh, and so I started. I realized I was still really interested in this stuff. So I I made a deal with myself and said, okay, you can write one 30 page short story, uh, but it has to be set after you were there. Um, So, you know, you're not relying on your own memories. Um, So you have to do some research and and use your imagination. Uh, Well, that uh, 30 page short story very quickly turned into a 300 page novel. Uh, uh, But uh, yeah, so Youngblood's set at uh, the end of the end of the war. Um, or, or near the end of the war, uh, and uh, 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 it's 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 also kind of a ghost story about um, earlier the early Iraq War, um, so the 2004 time frame, um, as a uh, uh, you know um, the, uh, they explore a, a possible love story between a, a lost green Ber- uh, a green beret and, and a, a local Iraqi woman. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm sure you had this experience too. And, and, and some, some of the listeners who, who are Iraq vets, uh, you, you get over there and you start hearing stories about, uh, previous units and, and how, how they were, it was a little more wild and, and, uh, it was, you know, there's never a direct connection, right? It, it was always the, uh, the unit before the one you're talking to or, or, uh, uh, the person that was there before, uh, the person you're talking to got there. Uh, and I was really interested in that, right? Because there's almost kind of this internal mythology that the army army started to have within Iraq uh, of uh, of how different units conducted themselves or how different units experienced uh, uh, 
the country or, and the people. And uh, that, that was really interesting to me. And, and, and uh, the Iraqi people uh, started to reflect this, right? Like, like they, they knew different units had different reputations uh, that uh, 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 the, the, the Eagle soldiers, the patch for the 101st, uh, uh, didn't shoot as quickly as, as, the, as the horse soldiers did. Right. As, as, as first Cav did that, that was, that, that was the, the scuttlebutt in, in our section of Iraq. All that kind of really interested me. So it, when I sat down to write young blood and kind of explore different, different avenues, uh, you know, I very specifically said it at the end of the war uh, as, as kind of a way to maybe look back and, and try to capture the whole eight year conflict um, in a way that uh, my memoir, my nonfiction had very, had just focused on, on the late surge uh, you know, by and, and by kind of having uh, prominent Iraqi characters um, and, and a bit of a detective story to it, you know, trying to sort through part part myth from uh, reality, uh, you know, I could I could better explore um, the entire conflict uh, and and its and its uh, consequences uh, on uh, on the Iraqi people. It's funny you say that. I wish you would have known me back when you started writing the book because I could have told you in 2011 we were there. It wasn't going to last. Like, you know, it just to, I could tell from the climate that, that when we left, everything was going to crumble and, and it, we were going to have to start all over from ground, from, you know, from scratch. And so um, that's what. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I talked to some of my former soldiers were, were over there. Uh, New Dawn, right? You call, you call yep. it Operation New Dawn. Uh, that's technically what uh, I deployed under Operation New O.N.D. Operation New Dawn. Yep, uh, and they they said the same thing. Um, uh, uh, completely different feeling they said from when we had come back in '09. Yeah, and, and you know that, that was that's why I characterize it as disappointing, because you know I was 26 when I when I got to my first deployment. I was young, and I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't even know what I was doing. Like you know, I felt so like out of place. Um, and I was thrown into the deep end and I learned to swim and I did really well. And it was just such an incredibly rewarding experience. And even to this day, you know, I got back, we're, we're 12 years past, you know, almost, you know, when I got back and, and, and I still look on, back on that experience with such fond memories, as I said before, but I look back on my second deployment and I look at it as a year of my life that I can never get back. And it's not like I missed anything like home, you know, other than family stuff, but it's just one of those things where it's like, I did not... I'm a very rubber meets the road kind of military guy. Like I got to be where things are happening. Um, mm-hmm. and, and as you go up the ranks, as you know, on the officer side, you get further away from that stuff. And, and it gets really irritating because it's almost like you don't feel the sense of your purpose. And any soldier um, from the private with a rifle on the, on the front lines to anybody, all they want to do is just have a purpose. And, and when you get that purpose taken away from you because of bureaucratic and political stuff, you feel like you're wasting your time. Yeah, yeah, no, and and uh, uh, that reason to be right. I think it's uh, uh, something I still uh, uh, miss about uh, the soldiering life. Um, that at its best, the, you know, the military uh, uh, can provide that, and you know, that's that's something that uh, uh, can be tricky to explain explain to uh, civilians sometimes. But I, I think it's important to convey that that uh, you know, every day of those fifteen months. Um, uh, it, it, it was like adrenaline straight to the veins, right? I mean, that, what clearer purpose could there be than uh, uh, than go out on 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 patrol, accomplish, accomplish the assigned mission, stay you know, and and stay alive and 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 keep yeah, survival. The man next to you alive. Survival yep. in and of itself is the clearest purpose. 
So sure. that that certainly uh, feeds that feeds that need. Let me ask you a question about Kaboom. Have you gone back and read it ever? Uh, yeah, you know, and and part it's uh, uh, parts of it I'm, are good, and parts of it are embarrassingly bad. Uh, part you know, parts of it are just a much younger person, a much more inexperienced person, uh, and uh, you know, it, I, I can laugh at him, uh, and and I can I can feel for him. But, you know, those experiences helped shape him into who I am. So, uh, you know, you can't be too, too down on him. Uh, he, you know, he was doing the best he could with, with what he knew and what he, what he was equipped with. Uh, uh, you know, you, you, wish, you wish he'd been a little wiser um, and maybe a little less fiery. But uh, on the other hand, you know, um, uh, the, kid, the kid had courage. And, 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 and how can that be a bad thing? No, not at all. Now, uh, is the is the blog still available for people to read? Yeah, you know, one of my friends archived it, uh, so uh, uh, that was that was a funny thing that uh, uh, when they shut it down, um, you know, try, I was trying. Uh, uh, they just created uh, he created a mirror site, and then some other people created mirror sites too, in case his got shut down. The people that I didn't even know. Uh, so you know, I was trying you know trying to explain to to the battalion commander what a mirror site is and, and how, you know, you can't, you can't control the internet. And, and, uh, yeah. I could just picture this going, sir, uh, it's out there. There's nothing you're going to do. <laughs> it's yeah. There's just, there's no, there's no going back now. Um, so yeah, it's, I, uh, off the top of my head, it's, um, kaboom war journal archive dot blogspot dot com. Okay. Uh, and, uh, it's very much kind of a, uh, late aughts bl- blogspot type of technology. It, 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 it's it's not clean, and sleek looking like a, a modern Tumblr or anything. So it, uh, it it still looks the part of 2008. That's for sure. There it is, Matt Gallagher. Just an incredible journey, an incredible tale. Uh, and you know, courage is a great word. You know, to to put your thoughts out there and write them out there. Like I said, I wrote a journal, but I didn't put it out there for the world to see. And it takes courage to be able to do that. And let the world kind of critique you and your thoughts and everything. Um, and I'm glad Kaboom was so successful. I'm sorry it ended the way it did. But obviously, again, the novel Youngblood, um, great things for that and great reviews of it. But, you know, all in told, uh, your military experience is a unique one. And certainly we thank you for being part of the Hazard Ground. Hey, appreciate it having, you having me. Uh, enjoyed our conversation. You've been listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast. Hosted by Mark Zeno and produced by Matt Pascarella. If you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at hazardgroundpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.